Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chapter 14, The Triumph of the Witch. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 14, The Triumph of the Witch. As soon as the witch had gone, Aslan said, We must move from this place at once. It will be wanted for other purposes. We shall camp tonight at the Fords of Brunel. Of course, everyone was dying to ask him how he had arranged matter with the witch. But his face was stern, and everyone's ear was still ringing from the sound of his roar, so nobody dared. After a meal, which was taken in the open air on the hilltop, for sun had got strong by now and dried the grass, they were busy for a while, taking the pavilion down and packing things up. Before two o'clock, they were on the march and set off in the no- northeasterly direction, making w- walking at an easy pace, for they had not far to go. During the first part of the journey, Aslan explained to Peter the, his plan of the campaign. As soon as she has finished business in these parts, he said, the witch and her crew will almost certainly fall back into her house and prepare for siege. You may or, or may not be able to cut her off and prevent her from reaching it. Then he went on to outline two plans of battle, one for fighting the witch and her people in the wood for another and another for assaulting her castle. And all the time he was advising Peter how to conduct the operations and saying things like, you must put your centaurs in such and such a place, or you must post scouts to see that she doesn't do so and so, until at last Peter says, but you will be there yourself, Aslan. I could give you no promise of that answered the lion and he continued giving peter his instructions for the last part of the journey it was susan and lucy who saw most of him he did not talk very much and seemed to them to be sad it was it was still afternoon when they had come down to a place where the river in the valley had widened out and and the river was broad and shallow shallow this was the fords of bruna and the slang gave orders to halt on this side of the water. But Peter said, Wouldn't it be better to camp on the far side for fear she should try a night attack or something? A slang, who seemed to have been thinking about something else, roused himself with a shake of a magnificent mate and said, Eh? What's that? Peter said it all over again. No, said Aslan in a dull voice, as if it didn't matter. She will not make an attack tonight. Then he added deeply, but he presently added, All the same, it was well thought of. This is how a soldier ought to think. But it doesn't really matter. So they proceeded to pitch their camp. Aslan's mood affected everyone that evening. Peter was feeling uncomfortable, too, at the idea of fighting the battle on his own. The news that Islan might not be there had come as great, great shock to them. Supper that evening was a quiet meal. 
Everyone felt how different it had been last night, or even that morning. It was as if the good times, having just begun, were already drawing to their end. This feeling affected Susan so much that she couldn't sleep when she went to bed. And after she had lain counting sheep and turning over and over, she heard Lucy give a long sigh and turn over just beside her in the darkness. Can't you sleep either, said Susan. No, said Lucy. I thought you were asleep. I say, Susan, what? I have the most horrible feeling, as if something were hanging over us. Have you? Because a matter of fact, so do I. Something about us land, said Lucy. Either some dreadful sand's going to happen to them, or there's something dreadful that he has to do. There had been something wrong with him all afternoon, said Susan. Lucy! What was that he said about not coming with us into the battle? You don't think that he could be stealing away and leaving us tonight, do you? Where is he now? Asked Lucy. Is he here in the pavilion? I don't think so. Susan, let's go outside and have a look-see. We might see him. All right, let's, said Susan. We might as well be doing that lying awake here. Very quietly, the two girls groped their way among the other sleepers and crept out of the tent. The moonlight was bright and everything was quite still except for the noise of the river, river chattering over the stones. Then Susan suddenly caught Lucy's arm and said, Look! On the far side of the camping ground, just where the trees began, they saw the lion slowly walking away from them into the wood. Without a word, they both followed them. He led them up the steep, steep slope out of the river valley and then very slightly to the right. Apparently, by the very same route which they had used that afternoon in coming from the hill to Stone Table, on and on he led them into the dark shadows and out into the pale moonlight, getting their feet wet with the heavy dew. He looked somehow different from the land they knew. His tail on his head hung low, and he walked very slowly, as if he were very, very tired. Then, when they were crossing a wide open place, there were no shadows for them to hide in, he stopped and looked around. There was no good trying to run away, so they came toward him. When they were closer, he said, Oh, children, children, why are you following me? We couldn't sleep, said Lucy, and then felt sure that she need say no more, and that Aslan knew all the, that they had been thinking. Please, may we come with you, wherever you're going? Said, asked Susan. Well, said Aslan, and seemed to be thinking. And then he said, Yes, you may come, if you promise to stop when I tell you, and after that you have to leave me go on alone. Oh, thank you, thank you, and we will, said the two girls. Forward, they went again, and one of the girls walked on each side of the lion. But how slowly he walked, and his great royal head dropped so his nose barely touched the grass. Presently, he stumbled and gave a low moan. Slan, dear Slan, said Lucy. What is wrong? Can you tell us? Are you dear? Are you ill, dear Slan? Asked Susan. No, said Slan. 
I am sad and lonely. Lay your hands on my mane so I can feel you are there and let us walk like that. So the girls did what they would never dare to do without his permission, but what they had longed to do ever since they first saw him, buried their cold hands in a beautiful sea of fur and stroked it, and so doing, walked with them. And presently, they saw that they were going with them up the slope of the hill in which the stone table stood. They went up at, at the side where the trees came furthest up, and then they had got to the last tree. It was the one that had some bushes on it, and the, and, the, and the slam stopped and said, Oh, children, children, here you must stop. And whatever happens, don't let yourselves be seen. Farewell. Both the girls cried bitterly, although they hardly knew why, hung to the lion, clung to the lion, and kissed his mane and his nose and his, his great sad eyes. Then he turned from them, and they walked out on top of the hill, and Susie and Lucen, crouching in the bushes, looked after them, and this is what they saw. A great crowd of people were standing all around the stone table through the main moon, was shining, many of them carried torches, which burned with all evil-looking red flames and back black smoke. But such pe people, or ogres with monstrous teeth, and wolves and bull-headed men, spirits of evil trees and poisonous plants, and other creatures whom I, I won't describe, because if I did, the grown-ups would probably not let you read this book. Cruels and hags with incubus, wraiths, horrors, freaks, Spikes, sprites, organisies, wusses, and ethans. In fact, here were all those that were summoned on the witch's side and whom the wolf was on a command. Right in the middle, standing by the table, was the witch herself. And the howl and a gibber of dismay went up from the creatures when they first saw the great line pacing towards them. And for a moment, the witch herself seemed to be struck with fear, and then she recovered herself and gave a wild, fierce laugh. The fool, she cried, the fool has come. Bind him and bind him fast. Lucy and Susan held their breath, waiting for a slam's roar and his spring upon his enemies, but it never came. The four hags, grinning and leering, and yet also at first, hanging back and half afraid of what they had to do, had approached him. Bind him, as I say, repeated the white witch. The hags made a dart at him and shrieked with triumph when they found he had made no resistance at all. Then others, evil dwarves and apes, rushed in to help them, and between them they rolled the huge lion over on his back and tied all his four paws together, shouting and cheering as if they had done something brave. Though the lion chosen, one of the paws, who could have been the death of them all, but he made no choice. Even with the enemies straining and tugging, pulled the cord so tight that they cut into his flesh, and then began to, and they began to drag him towards his own table. Stop, said the witch, and let him be shaved. 
another roar of mean laughter went up from her followers as an ogre with a pair of shears came forward and squatted down by Slan's head. Snip, snip, snip went the shears and masses of the curling gold began to fall to the ground. Then the ogre stood back and the children, watching from their hiding place, could see the face of the slam looking all small and different without its mane. The enemies also saw the difference. Why, he's only a great cat after all, cried one. Is that what we're afraid of? said another. And they surged around Slan, jeering at him and saying things like, Puss, 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 poor pussy. And how many mice have you caught today, cat? And would you like a saucer of milk, possums? Oh, how can they, said Pussy, the tears streaming down her cheeks. The brutes, the brutes. For now, that the first shock was over the shorn face of his clan, looked up to her braver and the more beautiful and the more patient than ever. Muzzle him, said the witch. And even now, they, as they worked about his face, putting on the muzzle, one bite from his jaws would have cost two or three of them of their hands. But he never moved. And this seemed to enrage all that rabble. Everyone was at him now. Those who had been afraid to come near him, after he'd bound, had began to find their courage. And for a few minutes, the two girls could not see him. And so thickly, he was being surrounded by a whole crowd of creatures kicking him, hitting him, spitting on him, jeering at him. At last, the rabble had enough of this. They soon the, began to drag the bound and the muzzled lion to the stone table. Some pulling and some pushing. He was so huge that even when they got them there, it took all their efforts to hoist him onto the surface of it. There were no more tying, and there was more tying and tightening of cords. The cowards, the cowards, sobbed Susan. They're still afraid of them, even now. When once they slammed and tied, and tied so that he was really just a mass of cords, on the flat stone a hush fell on the ground. The four hags, holding the four torches, stood at their corners on the table. The witch bared her arms as she had bared them the previous night when it had been Edmund instead of Aslan. Then she began to wet her knife. She looked to the children when the gleam of the torchlight fell on it, as if the knife were made out of stone, not of steel, and was, and was of a strange and evil shape. At last, she drew near. She stood by Aslan's head. Her face was working and twitching with passion. But, but his looked up at the sky, still quiet, neither angry or afraid, but a little sad. Then, before she gave the blow, she stooped down and said in a quivering voice, And now, who is one fool, did you think by that all of this you would save the human traitor? I will kill you instead of him, and our pact. Was, and so the deep magic will be appeased, and then you are dead, and what will prevent me from killing him as well? And who will take him out of my hand then? Understand that you have given me Narnia forever, and that you have lost your own knowledge, and you have not saved his, and that knowledge, despair and die. The, t the, ch the children did not see the actual moment of the killing, but they could not bear the look and had covered their eyes. And that was the end of chapter 14.
Chapter 15 is called The Deeper Magic from Before the Dawn of Time.